And so this was the biggest breakthrough in my own journey after doing all of the mental stuff, NLP, hypnotherapy. I did EFT, tapping, plant medicines, you name it. I've done something like it. This was the biggest difference because I realized our belief systems, the way we see the world, our distortions, the filters, everything we've been talking about on this call, the victim mentality, all of this stuff actually shows up in our bodies. And it's being communicated and expressed all the time. And most of us have no idea it's happening. It's literally kind of like Neo in the Matrix, where you, you start to see what makes up everything. You're like, this is an entirely new language that's been here the entire time and nobody knows about it. All right, my friends, it's Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, and I want to welcome you back to another episode here on the Fit Father Project and the Fit Mother Project podcast. Today, we're joined by guest expert Andrew Daniel, who is an award-winning and best-selling author, and he's a director at the Center for the Cinesomatic Development. And Cinesomatics is his proprietary program and workshop that he's developed over his years of experience to help people heal from trauma, get unstuck from old patterns, and quite frankly, just develop into the most authentic and powerful version of themselves. And this is really why we're bringing Andrew on today to have a conversation about basically our own internal development and how we can actually access that through the body, how we can get rid of these things that are weighing us down on a subconscious level. And we're going to have a conversation that basically is going to be looking at how we can bridge the gap between things like therapy and talk therapy with movement and even into spirituality. And Andrew is the author of Awaken to Your True Self, which is an award-winning book in the, you could say, personal development space. And he's also a very smart guy. In his early career, <laughs> he coded a particle and physics engine by age 18 that was ended up used by top Fortune 100 companies over seven years of business. So Andrew, welcome. <laughs> excited to have you here with our communities and to chat about all this stuff. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Anthony. It's an honor to be here. So I want to get into maybe a first question and then weave in a little bit of your personal story on how you got interested in this. But I, I want to ask you just flat out, like there are so many people that care deeply about their development and we have this whole self-help industry. And many people listening to this might have bought a Tony Robbins book or read something about how to be more productive with your time. But like, why do people stay stuck in your, in your, in your perception? Like, why is there all the information out there, but we're not necessarily seeing that translate into action and having a better life? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I wrote a whole book to answer it. Um, but let me at least touch on some of the major pieces of that. Um, I think, I think one of the biggest ones is our inability to see the the truth of our reality within the bounds of our stories. So what I mean by this is uh, imagine if you spent your whole life with a, a pair of glasses that had a color, yellow glasses, for instance. Mm -hmm. You're going to see reality through that yellow lens. And because that's what you're wearing, you can't see it, right? And so... We have filters, we have 
ways of perceiving reality that are just like that. And these are influenced by our traumas, the uh, just lifestyle we had growing up, our relationship with our parents, our own experiences, the media, our culture, our genetics, this whole thing. And so I think that one of the biggest reasons why we stay stuck and don't have the change that we want is because a lot of the things getting in our way are normal. They're natural to us. We don't realize they're even a thing. It's like the deepest beliefs we have, we don't question them because we don't consider them beliefs. We just think that's how reality is. And our stories can be like this. So in the very beginning of my book, I talk about our stories. And I even go deeper into our mythologies. Right? So our stories are the narrative that we tell around the actual thing that happened. Right? So the actual thing that happened was a guy spoke loudly to me. But our story was nobody cares about me. Uh, he, he's a really mean person. He never does anything helpful for me. I'm unworthy of love. Um, and I'm undesirable, and that's why he's yelling at me. Whatever it is, a random example. So that would be considered a story. So it's this narrative that we tell ourselves that encompasses our filters, our belief systems, our experiences, our traumas. And so when we narrate our life like this, when we have all these stories, they bind us to the past. And so we keep telling these same stories over and over and over again. We carry the past with us into our future. We project it into the future. And so that's really where I start with a lot of people. What are the stories that you're telling yourself that you're keeping alive? What are these things from the past that bind you to a false reality? Because the stories aren't true. The truth is what actually happened. All of this stuff around that is a story. So that would be that would be one. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean it's massively powerful, and it, it, it makes me curious. Like in your understanding of of the human trajectory of psychological, emotional, spiritual development, like where is 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 it very much in childhood in their early formative times where many of these story tracks are laid down, um, and is that is someone who's listening is who's 50 60 they're clearly running some kind of story script that's been there for a while but are we also creating uh, a lot of new stories and problems are we reinforcing old patterns is there an age aspect to this development where stories get laid down in particular times in our lives yeah it's everything you said um i've as a facilitator of this um i actually work clinically with people. I actually have clients and I work with people with their traumas, with their stories, with helping them become more functional, adding zeros to their income, becoming, making millions and millions of more dollars versus just healing from the abuse of their parents. Uh, and so I actually working with people, real world results, um, it's really obvious that so much of our future is dictated by our past. And I'm going to say this with a cavette, is that our future is dictated 
by our past until we make a new choice. Until we make a new choice, that stuff will run us. And it has been exceptionally clear that when we are young, uh, our relationship with our parents and in our family and that in those formative years really, really uh, affects so much. Now, remember, it's not about blaming them. It's not about being a victim to it. A lot of people will start telling stories, oh, my dad did this to me and this is why I messed up and I can't have what I want. Well, when you're blaming, you're being uh, trapped in victim mentality. And that is you giving your power away, which means you can't do anything about it. So yes, absolutely, when we are young, these things lay the foundation for how we're going to be in our life until we take that power back and make a new choice. But absolutely, uh, I've worked with people in their 70s and 80s, and it is amazing how much from being just a few years old, those narratives have ran their entire lives. Yeah, for sure. And, and it seems like it's never too late to do this work. It takes courage. And also the frame that I'm hearing here is it requires becoming aware. And it reminds me of this quote, and I'm not sure exactly who it's from, but it's until we make the subconscious conscious, it will direct our destiny and we will call it fate. Yes, Carl And Young. I suppose that's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a I have that quote yet. in my so, book. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what a powerful quote, right? I mean, that, that we just must become clear. And I think it's fair to say that if we do feel stuck in an area that we have a desire to have some kind of different experience, like that is a signpost pointing to the fact that there is some story here. So you don't necessarily, you can find the story in many ways. And I'm sure your method, which I want to hear about has ways to get into where those stories are residing psychologically. But like, Again, if there's a gap between your results and your desire, then there's clearly a gap in ability to take consistent action and to take feedback and do all these things. So there must be a story there. So I guess that's a kind of like nested question is like, how do we start to gain more clarity on areas that we may have these stories in? And how do we start to uncover what those core stories are? Well, I think I think you answered the question. I think that when you can have that awareness of, okay, this is my vision for myself, or this is how I see myself. And you're willing to take feedback from others or your results and environment and say, oh, wait a minute, this is, this is who I think I am. And these are the results I'm getting. This is how the world sees me. Uh, they're different. Uh, what's mm. going on here? And uh, the process that I use lays it out very, very specifically with video, literally. You get to see this difference. Uh, but just the awareness, just everything starts with awareness, Anthony. A a every If you don't have awareness, nothing can change. Now, yeah. it's, not, it's not everything. You still have to make choice. You have to take action. Uh, you have to, to make new decisions. But until you're aware that there's even anything happening... Nothing can change. And then so that awareness comes first, and, and then responsibility is next, is that you have to take responsibility for it. And so that that's one of the chapters of my book is called The Victim Trap. And it's very easy to, got, to get caught in this victim mentality where we're blaming others or even ourselves. Even self-blame is not taking responsibility. You're still being a victim to yourself. Hmm. And so the problem with that 
it's not like I'm just being mean and saying, oh, the victim, you know, this isn't victim blaming. This is understanding that if you are blaming others for what's happening in your life, it means that you're giving your power away. If you do not take responsibility, you're giving your power away, which then means you can't do anything about it. You cannot change what you do not own and control. And so when you give your power away to the government, to your parents, to a spouse, to your children, when you point the finger at something outside of yourself, it tells you that you do not own it and you can only change what you own. So it means you have no power to change it. So now you are waiting and dependent on external circumstances to have your joy, to have your happiness, your peace, your money, whatever it is that you want. And so my work is helping people not blame themselves, not feel bad about themselves, but to take ownership and responsibility because that leads to freedom. The Mm -hmm. absolute freedom requires absolute responsibility. The more freedom you want in your life, the more control over your destiny that you want, uh, the more responsibility you have to take in, you have to take and to have uh, for yourself in your own life. And how much of this in in your relationship to that gets into like the metaphysical spiritual realm? So to cite an example from my own life, like my dad died when I was quite young. I was nine years old. He was 42. And in a, in a certain sense, like, I guess I could look at it one way that like, perhaps this is like, God's plan. I am incarnating here in a time that I have a dad that passed away. And I guess I can maybe from like a soul level, like this is my path. I chose this in a level deeper than my conscious mind. There could be another way of viewing it as this situation happened and I choose to fully accept that it's happened and take my power and move forward and, and just like make good of it, make good of this or even make great of it. And that's kind of how I imagine I responded when I was younger without understanding. Um, how, how do, how does one take, um, ownership over any example situation? Let's use something like a rape. Like, um, that happens. Oh man, we're just going for trauma that's internalized. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like something like that. Like how does someone take the choosing and the ownership over something seemingly like that? Yeah. So there's, there's two ways I look at it. One, it's taking responsibility for your role in it. Now, what is your role in, um, well, you said the example rape, or what is your role in the example of your father dying, or what is your role, what choices and decisions did you make to get there? Uh, And then the second one is, what responsibility and choices are you making to respond to it? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's... In every instance that we have an effect, um, there are choices that have led up to it. Now, it doesn't mean that we could have done anything different, that we should have done anything different, that those were good or bad choices. Um, It's just simply saying, okay, instead of giving my power away to this person that violated me and abused me, right, because you're, you're already the victim of something horrendous, we don't want to give them more power. Okay, so then we take ownership. You know, we take ownership of our part into it. It doesn't mean they don't. 
it still means absolutely they have their karmic reproductions, their legal uh, mm-hmm. uh, repercussions. Um, they absolutely have their role in it. So this, okay, so this is really important, and, and this is a really hard one when you're actually violated against your will. Um, is that taking responsibility for your part does not absolve the other person of what they did. Mm-hmm. And that's really, 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 really important uh, for a lot of people that have been in these situations that have been actual victims to something horrendous um, or tragic, like a, a family member passing, absolutely outside of your control, right? It's not like you created your father passing. It's not like you created um, everything that happens in your life. However, you are a part of everything that happened in your life. You have right. made decisions that have led you somewhere. And so then let's assume even not. I I could make an argument that choices besides, I mean, maybe even up until before birth, um, choices yeah. are made. But even if you don't want to go that extreme, I find going that extreme gives you the most empowerment. But let's say yeah. you don't. Okay, fair enough. Well, at least take responsibility how you respond to that situation. Right. Okay. So something horrendous happened. You are certain there was nothing you could do about it. It was outside of your control. Horrendous. Okay. How are you going to respond from it? You are absolutely, in every instance, responsible for how you respond and react to things that are connected that are happening. Mm-hmm. You can use it to beat yourself up. You can use it to feel guilty. You can use it to feel shame. You can use it to be vengeful. You could use it to be spiteful. You could use it to be grateful that at least you're alive or at least yeah. you've had that time with that person. So if anything, at least we can take responsibility for how we respond and show up in our life afterwards. Yeah. I mean, great answer. On, on, on many fronts and perspectives. And I think people can choose where they want to fall there. Something that I, I did catch and I want to highlight is you said the most extreme relationship or new story that you can create in relation to how much responsibility you take, if it can be all yours, even on like a cosmic, like pre-birth level, then you said that has the most power. So again, the most responsibility is the most yep. power. So I want to emphasize that for people because that, that seems really important. And I also want to ask you about the role of like forgiveness in all of this. I, I have been interested in how different emotional states like can affect how well the brain functions. And I have a friend who runs something called the BioCybernaut Institute, and they basically do brainwave training and they help people get into more profound meditative states. And what they found is like when they hook people up to the EEG electrodes and measure the brain's activity, that ultimately when people go through a process of forgiving anyone who has wronged them on deep, deep levels, that is basically the number one thing you can do to like unlock your brain's ability to get into more powerful alpha wave states. So talked about forgiveness and how this interplays with this idea of like healing trauma and, and ownership. Cause it's like on one idea we can own it. Another idea we're releasing something. Can we speak into that a little bit? Yeah, that's a great question. It's actually not something um, I go into much because I found that you only need to forgive until you no longer need to forgive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what I mean by that is you have to forgive others and yourself until you no longer 
until you can until you understand that there are no victims until you understand that well until you move out of duality thinking dualistic thinking yeah so so forgiveness is necessary if you feel like you need it and you feel like you uh, are refusing to give it to others now I've been through processes of my life where I've forgiven myself and other people um, the the important thing there's a lot of stuff underneath of it underneath it so you'd want to look at is there punishment is there guilt is there shame involved is there vengeance and i think a forgiveness process can be very helpful in healing those things um mm-hmm. so i think it's i think it makes total sense that a process of forgiveness would unlock those higher states because until you do that, you're holding on to anger. You're, you're, you're yeah. holding on to revenge uh, or whatever is underneath that punishment, vengeance. And so that traps you, right? So, mm-hmm. so but then if we take a, a look further and we move past a dualistic thinking and you understand that you, you can't be hurt uh, unless you let somebody hurt you. Uh, mm-hmm. Because someone could come and call me the worst things ever and treat me terrible. I don't have to accept it. I don't, right. you know, it, it's like the uh, the person that, uh, give, giving anger is like uh, giving a, a hot coal. So you're the one that right. hurts yourself. And yeah. if you don't accept that gift, well, they're, they're left with it. So I think... I think there comes a time where after you've forgiven yourself, after you've forgiven others, after you've opened yourself to forgiveness, because it requires vulnerability, it requires healing, it requires letting go. And I think forgiveness is really a process of letting go. Um, yeah. And when you can move through all of that and recognize that, oh, wait a minute, what is there to forgive? Uh, because it's been my experience in working with all these clients is that some of the most horrific things that have happened have led them to some of the most amazing things in their life. For sure. And so I think it's the holding on to the meanings, the holding on to the pain that cause us to keep suffering. And I think forgiveness is essentially a practice of letting go of the suffering we hold on to. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah it's well said. And I think it, it maybe is even a path, as you, as you stated, a path to move away from a very dualistic victim-perpetrator mentality into one of seeing things in greater totality and maybe yep. even becoming grateful and maybe even being able to get to the point where you can actually, like, feel like you're sending and emanating love out to to that Compassion. individual because you because you see that they were acting from their own hurts potentially or and where you're mutually learning through this interaction um, and that you can experience things now i want to ask you about a couple personality points in this some people would say oh i'm just a more negative or skeptical person or someone would say 
I'm a tend to be a really sensitive person or he or she's a sensitive person. And maybe think when you said that coal example is if I handed you this hot coal of anger or judgment, like you've clearly done like a lot of work where you wouldn't accept that. And I think that would be an indication of the fact that you have a very strong sense of self. You've done a lot of healing and you wouldn't be like sensitive to my jab at you. It, it would take a lot, maybe if anything, to be able to get a rise um, out of you because you're rooted. Is it fair to say that people who feel like they're sensitive or easily triggered is just an underlying an indicator that there's something there that's not healed? Um, yeah. Is that is that? Yeah. I, well, f- with a a little bit more to it. So in my book and in my work, I I love triggers. Triggers are great uh, for most people in society. They just go absolutely crazy um, and they don't want it. In my work, triggers are an arrow to what needs healing. So there's a distinction as well to make is that live feelings are things that are you're occurring and feeling because of what's actually happening in the moment. Something mm-hmm. in the present is activating something in the present, new, live. Yeah. Whereas triggers are things that something in the present is reactivating something that's uh, been uh, undealt with from the past. Right. So I I literally went like this and pointed, right? So the triggers are here to point us to what needs to be healed. Now, I think a lot of people um, uh, can hide. A lot of people end up finding spiritual or psychological language to enable their behaviors. Um, now, I definitely know that there are people that are more sensitive, that are more open, that are naturally more empathic than others. I I would tend to be one of them who is very sensitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but along with that comes the ways that we relate to ourselves and those things and the space. And so in the cinematic work that we do, uh, one of the diagnostics of, of many is we have people just walk through the space and through their body, we get to see their relationship to the space. And people that are, let's say, overly sensitive tend to be more shut down. They tend to be more closed off. They tend to be more avoidant. Um, they don't feel safe. They don't know how to handle all of the data or the feeling or the information that comes in. And so that shows up. uh, Oftentimes people that are very reactive have a backlog of stuff that they've been suppressing. And so they have this, this entire pressure cooker of unresolved stuff. And so when one little thing comes in, it just activates all this stuff. And so I think a lot of people are a lot less sensitive and more just reactive uh, because of this undealt with stuff. And then the people that are sensitive uh, haven't developed, like the people that are legitimately just sensitive, they haven't learned or developed the skills and the energy management to handle and to deal with those things as they come in. Yeah. And it's it's a perfect segue to what I want to ask you next, which is going to be a lead into the exact kind of process of your work, but I kind of want to also like, it's called cinesomatics. So we'll get into that, but like, 
Soma related to the body, Cinna be related to like viewing picture, something like this. Video, yeah. But before, yeah, video. Before we get into that, I want to ask about the connection between trauma, healing, the stuff we're talking about in the body, because it, it can almost seem like it's an intellectual thing, right? Maybe it's just like a mental thing. It's a relationship, but you and many other people are clearly making this very strong stance that like, this is an embodied experience and this stuff is being expressed, stored, and also healed through the body. So could we talk about that? Could we talk about the interplay of like what we consider our physical bodies and how this trauma and the healing happens in the context of the body? Yeah, so a lot of, I'll make a distinction here because a lot of my work, um, how do I say this? There's, there's various schools of thought on trauma and then even somatically in the body. Uh, but I think what is evident uh, is that trauma shows up not just in the head, that it's it's an entire body experience. Um, people even go as far to say that there's literal memories stuck in parts of the body. Uh, my personal experience, I find that to be true as well. Um, I also find that the body, it's kind of like, Think of it like this. Your, your, your intellect is one mind and your body is another mind. I make the distinction between intellect, the, the brain, the mind, egoic intellect, versus feeling, intuition, intelligence of the body. Now, our body is doing trillions of things every second that our mental mind cannot even fathom or control or manage. So there's an intelligence of the body, trillions of cells, <laughs> all knowing what to do and how to do it. It couldn't possibly just be commands from the brain every right. microsecond all the time. Uh, it, we would just, I mean, we'd be completely paralyzed. So the body has an innate intelligence. Uh, I find that this comes from a spiritual intelligence. And... When you can look at the body as an intelligence rather than a machine that the brain is controlling and you're just this head walking around on this robot sending signals to it, and instead getting into relationship and getting back down into the body, uh, you start to realize there's all this stuff here. And the stuff here... Uh, tends to be feeling. It tends to be things that over our lifetime we don't want a part of. We don't want to feel. And so the mind is a place, the intellect is a place, the fantasy realm is a place that we can avoid having to be in our body where all these icky, shadowy feelings that we never want to feel are. Hmm. And so understanding this concept and witnessing clients, thousands of people and thousands of times in myself that you can go up into the head or you could drop down and feel into the body and every single time 
all your power, all the wisdom is down. It's in your body. It's down in feeling. And moving out of the Western mindset of that um, takes some time. But as you do it, you start to get back in a relationship with the body. You're going to find, oh my gosh, there's the trauma. Here's the stuff that I've spent decades of my life avoiding, uh, trying to overcome, never wanting to feel, but it's still here. And it and it's there. Um, and it's there until you feel it. And there's that that phrase, it's you have to feel it to heal it. You can't do it in the head. You have to do it in the body. Really powerful. I want to emphasize this that again is in my understanding of everything you just said is we had an experience, something happened, we created a story be about that, and that story is lodged in our mind and in our body as some kind of Im impression, like a deep impression, like a, a, a gash, a wound, a scar, something we protect that unless we then resurface that and then feel that, so the path back into healing is going back through that. It's not burying it down, although we push it down. It's bringing it back up and then feeling it and experiencing it in the body, in the mind, in the totality of our being, and then it can be healed and released because if it's not felt again, it's stuck. Yes, it's the it's uh, imagine 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 the lesson. Imagine there's a lesson. There's mm -hmm. there's a learning, and that's at the core of everything. And maybe even underneath that is just love. Really, I think if you yeah. want, we want to go real spiritual here, it's just really yeah. this unconditional love, um, the truth. It's just at, at just it's so at the center you can't even see it. And then mm -hmm. in the center, practically, is a lesson. Is there's there's some sort of thing to learn from it. Then around that is the emotion that we don't want to feel. And then around that, wrapping that is the story, the narrative. And on top of that, maybe are the judgments, um, you know, the avoidance, all of this kind of stuff. And in order to move through any of this, you have to penetrate it. You have to penetrate yeah. the story and you have to penetrate the feeling. If you only go 99.9%, you're just going to be in a lot of pain. And this is one of the reasons people stay stuck too, is that they go in, they look at it, or they touch their toe into the shadowy waters or they swim in it a little bit, but then they get out, they back away, or they react yeah. to it, or they judge it, or they push it away again. They don't penetrate it. And that penetration can feel like annihilation, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of this paradox where when you penetrate it, it's almost like you have to be willing for it to penetrate you, to annihilate yeah. you, a sort of egoic death. Because when you yeah. have this really deep trauma of grief, sadness, abandonment, judgment, rejection. Mm -hmm. We don't want to feel it. We have a judgment. This is bad. Our body is literally saying, our limbic system is literally saying, danger, danger, do not do this, survival. Yeah. But then it gets stuck, and we don't let it move through. And then we create all this narrative, we suppress it, and then we learn about healing, and we come along and try to cut it out or to cancel it or to delete it, to clear it, to try to get rid of it. And in my work, it's the opposite. You go into it. It's not, this, this is a really important phrase, Anthony. Mm -hmm. It is not about feeling good. It's about feeling. 
Mm-hmm. And when you can make that transition, you, you become less obsessed about being happy and you become oriented to the truth. You become oriented mm-hmm. to, it, okay, all right, wait a minute. I'm not, what, do you, what the hell is this guy saying? I'm not supposed to feel good? No. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is the whole point of life isn't to feel good. The whole point of healing isn't to get to that magical place. It's to go into the feeling. It's to feel. It's like the whole point of dancing isn't to get to the end of the dance the fastest. Mm -hmm. It's to dance. And if you think that's the point of dancing, if you think personal development is the point of dancing or singing, you're conning yourself. You're, 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 You're missing the whole point. And so in the healing work, the whole point is feeling it. Because that feeling, as I said, has a lesson. There's wisdom. There's love at the bottom of it. And if you don't let yourself go into the feeling, in a way you're saying you're not going into love. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're choosing to stay in a contracted state because it's it's safe. It's known. Yep. It's not of the highest truth, but you're used to it. And then I think this layer that you said, like the seeds of it, how like at the deep seat, in the middle of the seed is the love we might not even perceive. And then it goes out into feeling and story. And at the outer layers, I think it's like we project onto others then. It's like a defense mechanism that keeps the seed like there. It's like, I'm, and this is something that I'm working through personally, is I'm looking always now into my mind of like the experiences of judgment that I have for other people, knowing that they're signposts of something (laughs) internal that, that like I, they need to like heal more. It's like, the judgment and most people just get stuck in like literally just like making those judgments and not realizing even that there is a seed or is a kernel. So again, awareness, it comes back to that, but let's talk a little bit about like projection and judgment. I think it's something that many people believe is like a normal, natural, and maybe even like good thing to do. But like, how does that relate to this healing work? Well, projection is, is also kind of like the triggers. It's like when you're, when you're seeing it in somebody else, um, that's because it's within you. Now, there's there's a, a great thing with it, too. When we do group work, one of the great things is that somebody will give somebody feedback. Remember, all feedback is love, right? There's no such thing as good feedback or bad feedback. It's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. You're just simply reflecting back the truth. You're just simply reflecting back what you see and you feel. And so it's really beautiful that when uh, a client, well, they, they do either or. When they project, they'll say, oh, well, he's just doing this or blah, 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 blah. That's that's stupid. I don't think you should do that. That's that's a dumb idea. Whatever it is. Well, they're projecting their limitations onto the other participant. It says, well, it's not about them. That's about you. <laughs> and so oftentimes we give feedback or we make judgments or give advice to other people that is really for us. Um, and then also what happens, people don't realize this as well on the the plus side is that they say, oh yeah, Bob's Bob's so smart. Like that's a really great idea. You're you're really letting your genius come through. This this creativity is great. Well, Sally, if you can see it in Bob, it means you have it too. And so this comes down to this fundamental thing is that we cannot see what we are not. Right? We literally have these cones in our eyes, these rods and cones, yeah. that 
because of those inside of us, our anatomy, it allows us to see things in a certain way. And so understanding that there's nobody else out there, right, if you can kind of get more to this universal truth that if I can see it in you, that means I have it as well, whether it's good or bad. And again, that takes us back to responsibility and ownership. And a lot of people, it's not just an avoidance of their shadow, but it's an avoidance of their light. Mm -hmm. And so they don't want to own their beauty. They don't want to own their light for many, many reasons. Um, But it's been really interesting to see that it's not just people avoiding all this terrible, negative, traumatic stuff. It's also the most beautiful parts of themselves that through their judgments and distortions and filters was turned into shadow material. For me, for example, was my smile. I mean, for so many years, I suppressed my smile because of some wacky distortions that I had. And then when I finally let myself go in there, it's like, oh, this has nothing to do with what I thought. And so when we judge other people, and we judge ourselves when we project onto other people, it's similar to the triggers. It it shows us that there's something in ourselves being activated in that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I got to say, like, up to this point in the conversation, this has been a really powerful and interesting and even, like, healing landscape of this work. And now I want to ask you for the next few minutes, like, about your process cinesomatics like if someone's listening to this right now and they're like i am called to go on a healing journey and take this in a much more intentional way you obviously have a process that works very well for many people walk us through like what it is how people engage with you and your team and like what that actually looks like and where you know where they can go it's not the end of the conversation i have a few more questions for you but i just want to know like what um more about exactly what your process is and what you'd like to share about that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So Cinesomatics is a really groundbreaking, cutting-edge technology that actually requires really recent technology in order to even facilitate, um, which is video. And so Cine of Cinesomatics is cinema, a video, and also from Greek movement, a kino. And then somatics is uh, soma of the body. So essentially, the modality, the process is we use video and movement to help people feel, to give them feedback about their stuck stories, mythologies, archetypes, shadow material, blocks, plateaus, blind spots. Uh, And we do so through movement in the body. So this is very different. So a lot of therapy... um, well, there's, there's kind of been three kind of ways. One is you just have body work. And the body work is really a lot of most somatic therapy out there, where it's like, how do we move the body to release the, the, tr- the trauma and the, the stuff trapped in like muscle tissue kind of stuff? Yeah. Then, there's, then there's been like medications. All right, it's a chemical thing. Um, and then there's been talking, right? Talk therapy, all about the mind. Sure. Cinesomatics, basically what we do is that we have people move in their body. So we'll have them uh, shake their hands is a very basic one, just literally just shaking their hands, walking around a room, dancing, um, walking on a slack line, 
many, many different things. Then we film their movement, and then they come sit down, and either in a group or one-on-one, we play that video back of their movement, and from a feeling place, not a intellectual, logical body language place, right? So this is not body language. This is deeper than that. We're working at the symbolic level, the feeling symbolic level. I give them feedback about all of the subconscious material that gets revealed through the body movements. And so they have a video of themselves to watch as I do this. So one of the great things about this process is that it's not just blindly trusting some authority or or guru and just saying, okay, well, you're the expert, whatever. Now, I'm really good at what I do, and the feedback is very accurate, and you also have video of yourself moving that I facilitate and narrate and give you feedback on so you can see this stuff for yourself in your own body. And the stuff that comes through is not just trauma and emotions. It's everything. This work is based off of the principle of how you do one thing is how you do everything which goes back to an ancient principle of as above, so below. Well, what they often don't talk about is also, well, as below, so above. And so what what we found out is that these stories, you know, the things that we talked about early on in the call, these mythologies, which are essentially overarching stories that can be passed down through generations or culturally, Archetypes, these primary symbolic ways of being and doing things in life, all of these things inhabit the body. And so this was the biggest breakthrough in my own journey after doing all of the mental stuff, NLP, hypnotherapy. I did EFT, tapping, plant medicines, you name it. I've done something like it. This was the biggest difference because I realized our belief systems— the way we see the world, our distortions, the filters, everything we've been talking about on this call, the victim mentality, all of this stuff actually shows up in our bodies. And it's being communicated and expressed all the time. And most of us have no idea it's happening. It's literally kind of like Neo in the Matrix, where you you start to see what makes up everything. You're like, This is an entirely new language that's been here the entire time and nobody knows about it. And then we put it on video and you get to see it for yourself. You're like, oh my God, what what do you mean not everybody shows the archetype of giving and receiving or making money like I just did? Oh my gosh, all these other people show this completely differently. Our bodies have their own somatic representations. Right? You have yeah. an image, a thought, an idea in your mind of how Anthony is, how how good he is at receiving, how uh, good he is at making money, or how bad he is at intimacy, whatever it is. You have an image of your mind, how you see yourself in the world. Well, when we get you in your body and moving, we see the truth because your body may have a completely different way to embody and represent that than your mind. And if they're different, like you said in the beginning, if they don't match, that almost 
always, I have not came across an instance where that person doesn't struggle with that in their life. And so there's a mismatch. Exactly. Action is not going to match up with, with what you're feeling in your experiencing in your mind. Yeah. So, so much sense. Yep. Yep. And it's visible in the video. So you get to see it for yourself and it's in the body. And not only can we see it in the body, in the energy of the way the body moves, then we also use the body to heal that, to move through it, to find a new way to embody those archetypes, to collapse and penetrate the stories. And that journey that you just talked about to, to heal that mismatch, the journey to have that match involves the healing. And so in order to get there, in order to have the match, in order to you, for you to embody a successful person, whatever that is for you, to match, there's this entire journey of letting go of the pain of your parents' stories, integrating the masculine and feminine polarities inside your body, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what cinesomatics is. It's really cool. I mean, and, and I like that it's um, it has so much tangibility through it, through this process that is, you know, is playful. There's feedback. You can see like that you're progressing when there's more match. You can experience your embodying it all. And for those interested, this will be linked in the show notes, but it's also Cine, C-I-N-E, somatics, one word, dot org is where they can learn more. So yeah. that's and fantastic. Yeah, and... It, it can be funny. It can also be very confronting because you're also yeah. seeing some of the worst parts about yourself on video in your body that you've spent decades of your life not wanting to see. I get people that come in and they're like, oh, I do shadow work. I want to know the truth. And then I show them the truth and they they just don't want it because I'm sh- reflect I it's not me I'm literally just a mirror I'm reflecting back they can see it for themselves on video the narcissism the manipulation the self-abuse the um, martyrdom the codependency the anger the destruction uh, all of this stuff all of that stuff also comes up too so it is it is not for beginners it is a very advanced process but it is very accelerated. And it works to heal and not only heal, but to become more functional. That was the other thing I realized in a lot of the healing work is that you you healed the stuff. You didn't feel bad anymore, but you didn't necessarily make more money. You didn't necessarily have better relationships. You didn't necessarily know how to relate to people better or yourself. And so this work, what we're also doing is because we can verify this with the video and the movement, if you're making money archetype is really small and tiny we don't want to just heal that we want it to be bigger we want you to make more money and that can all be practically verified and seen through a your bank account and b how you show up on video in the movements nice that's really cool now my last question for you is to take this discussion we've had which is like into the fabric of each of us individually, but I suppose also each of us collectively in terms of how we see ourselves as mirrors to one another. We understand the sameness at the core of all of our experience and we're healing in relation to one another. We have a current culture right now that I think if people (laughs) look out and define is like, there's a lot of tensioning. There is a lot of changes. There is a lot of like, it almost seems like of our collective consciousness. There's, there's like, 
things are coming to a head with with pains that have been run their course and now need to be changed or structures weren't aren't gonna aren't gonna do things so please now speak on almost like a cultural level like where you see we're headed and what we can do about it maybe if that's on our own individual healing but like let's talk a little bit about culture and your take on that how that represents our cultural healing and maybe our greater like relationship to each other yeah wow that that could be a whole conversation itself for sure um, I think things are going to get worse before they get better. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot more darkness before dawn. Uh, but I do think that um, we are at least having conversations about this stuff now. So that's that's great. Um, I think uh, having freedom of speech is incredibly important. You cannot heal it if you can't talk about it openly and freely without fear. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole cancel culture is incredibly toxic. Um, I, I don't, uh, you, there's no way to convince me otherwise. Like you, we have to have, um, we have to have us, we, we have to have space to tell the truth. And most truth at, isn't necessarily friendly. It's not nice. And mm-hmm. so many people have distortions. I mean, right now, just around reality and and definitions that have been sort of obvious for hundreds of thousands of years are now being thrown away like they were just pretend um it's very destructive it's very and not in a good way there's positive destruction right you know mm-hmm. toppling and, and destroying things that are, are very abusive uh and and corrupt and cancerous um, but there, there's a lot of insidious stuff happening. Um, there's a lot of collective pain. Um, there is a, a system from the top down that is not only enabling, but encouraging victim mentality. Um, yeah. it's, it's a system that wants victims because guess what you can do with victims. You can control them. Now, it sounds a little sinister, um, but it is obvious to anybody who's not a victim that there is way more incentives culturally on the surface um, to perpetuate a victimhood mentality. Because guess what? You keep people angry. You keep them blaming others. Well, guess what? They don't have any power. (laughs) They literally have no power to change, and they'll feel helpless. So a future book I have is going to be a title around the concept of hopeless and indignant. Right now, we have an epidemic of especially young people, especially young men, um, that are completely disregarded and and made fun of and thrown to the wayside are young men. I mean, it's like, <laughs> like society does not give a shit. Um, and... I was one of those young men. I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to take revenge at the school. I cried myself to sleep as a teenager. I was rejected. I was bullied for 12 years. I had warts on my fingers. I was made fun of. And I know the feeling of being a victim. I live in victim mentality half of my life. And I know the pain and the anger. And there's so much hatred and anger. And that anger comes from not feeling like you have any power. So the anger that's in this in this culture right now comes from also this 
feeling of being a victim and not having any power. So that's a huge thing that I think is is going to be necessary if we want to change anything is for people to start taking responsibility for themselves first. I don't know how to I mean, if I worked with world leaders, uh, and that's part of the idea, uh, if you can imagine world leaders doing healing work, yeah, uh, it would be tremendous. Uh, but besides that, my work is with everyday people um, or even leaders, uh, entrepreneurs, people that are doing the work themselves. So you have to take responsibility for yourselves. It has to start with each of us individual. Uh, I forgot who it was. But it was some. It was something like, there's two political, socioeconomic kind of views, one where it's top down that everything starts with the government, and another where everything starts with the individual, uh, or the father. You know, something like this where yeah. it's, you know, a, a good father creates a good wife, a good wife and father create a good child, a good child creates a good family, uh, a good family creates a good community, a good community creates a good neighborhood. A city, state, country, world—that kind of thing. And in my experience, it—it does. Um, reform starts from the individual, and it goes up because if there's anything everyone can agree on, is the government uh, can't manage shit. Um, and to have them and the media and all these corporations in charge of how we think and what we think, especially these young children, um, it is very dangerous. Uh, we are on a slippery, slippery slope um, that does not look good. But if individually we can start taking accountability, we can have this awareness, start work, working on ourselves, start to, as cliche and trite and oversaid as it is, be the change we wish to see, right? It starts with us. Yeah. And, it, and when I say that, I don't mean fantasize. I don't mean talk about it, go on social media and just talk. You actually have to change. It, it, be the change, but actually change. You do the work yourself. And when you can start healing yourself, it actually affects your family. I've seen sure. countless times that a client who starts working on themselves and heals themselves, either energetically and metaphorically, indirectly or directly, is, is helping to heal the rest of the family, their parents, their grandparents, their children. Um, and I know this is is a podcast really directed with parents, mothers and fathers. I cannot stress to you enough, every single client that has come in, as I said in the beginning of this call, their parents had a huge, a huge foundational role in how they showed up in their life. And so it's it's I don't say that to scare. I don't say that to blame or to create more anxiety and pressure. But if you can start healing your wounds, if you can start healing your stuff and showing up with more intimacy and vulnerability and courage and standing for truth and standing for love and standing for uh, a willingness to talk about the hard things without judgment and in a safe way, if you start standing for those things, you're going to pass that on to your children. They don't do what you say. They do who you are. And in the cinesomatic work, I, I literally see the parent's dynamic show up in the child's body. Our mother and our father are our primary representations of the masculine and feminine. 
And in children, I see in parts of their body, literally the parents' relationships and their dynamics show up completely unconsciously in the physical body of the child. So you're not to blame and um, you have a responsibility and you are going to be the primary figures uh, for your children. And there's no way out of causing messing up. There's no perfect parents. You know, don't worry about any of that. Just heal yourself. The more you heal, the more you stand for these values, uh, the more it's going to benefit your children. Man. And that's where it starts. That's that's a powerful way to end this conversation, my friend. Like, truly. <laughs> and um, I, I also think that this idea of personal healing not only is like what we must confront, otherwise our patterns just keep on coming up and we're just stuck in like the Groundhog Day loop, but like a healed person at any stage in life is like this light that can just help light thousands of flames for for healing. So it's like, I just think the math of it is is it's just how it is. Like healed people heal people, hurt people hurt people. Like, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was just thinking. Yeah. You said it. I was gonna say it. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly. So, I mean, so beautiful, but, right? But we don't. But we don't hear that second part. That's what I was just realizing. We hear hurt people hurt people, but we hear healed people heal people a lot less. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a much more useful part of the equation. Yeah. And I want to thank you for playing a, a really powerful role in developing your system. And I'm, I'm excited for people who listen to this who are inspired. Again, cinesomatics.org. Check that out. Get deeper into the work. And of course, your book is a really good place to start as well. Awaken to Your True Self. That's on Amazon. Lots of good yep. ratings. And, um, and I think it'd be a deeper dive version of the conversation we probably just had. So Andrew, thank you, man. I appreciate you a lot. Uh, it's great to have you in our communities. And I know everyone's going to be very thankful for this conversation. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Andrew. Hey there, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Fit Mother Project podcast. If you love what you heard, I have a favor to ask you. Please consider taking 60 seconds right now to leave us a rating and review on our podcast. Leaving us a review is super quick. It only takes a minute and it's so, so helpful to us as it really boosts this podcast to reach more people who need this information and this message. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a star rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. Overall, I truly appreciate you being with us here on the podcast. On behalf of me and my entire Fit Mother Project team, we truly feel honored and grateful to support you and your family on your journey to fantastic health. I thank you for your support of this podcast and of this mission. Also, if you're interested in joining our complete Fit Mother program and becoming an official member of our community, you can visit our website, fitmotherproject.com. And on the Fit Mother site, you'll be able to see our complete Fit Mother program along with our online store with the best supplements designed for busy moms. And you'll also find a ton of free resources like recipes, workouts, meal plans, and more. God bless you and your family. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll catch you on the next episodes of the Fit Mother Project podcast.